In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 4. So, the outline of the chapter, from verse 1 to 13, the temptation in the wilderness, after the Lord was baptized, then he went to the wilderness and fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan tempted him during this time. Then the Lord started his ministry in Galilee, verse 14 and 15. As you know, Israel was divided into three parts, Judea in the south, Samaria in the middle, and Galilee in the north. So the Lord started his ministry in Galilee. That's actually his hometown, Nazareth. But Galilee is like the, the, the state. Nazareth is like a city. So there are many cities, like Capernaum. So all these cities around the Sea of Galilee was in the north. That's where the Lord started his ministry. Then, from verse 16 to 30, the Lord went to his city in Galilee, to Nazareth, to preach there, but he was rejected by his own people in Nazareth. Then, from verse 31 to 37, the Lord cast out unclean spirits, some of the miracles, from 38 and 39, the healing of St. Peter's mother-in-law uh, from verse 40 and 41. Many were healed after Sabbath sunset, Sabbath sunset. And the last three verses, the Lord continued his ministry and his preaching in Galilee. The chapter is 44 verses. We will take only 22 uh, half of the chapter tonight. So, verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit after his baptism, returned from Jordan, where he was baptized, uh, the wilderness of Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, he was fasting. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So, after the Lord was anointed by the Spirit in baptism, when the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, that is the anointment of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one, the chrismated one. So when he was anointed in baptism, so he was anointed, chrismated, consecrated to be our high priest, the king of kings, and the prophet. So he was anointed to be our high priest, king of kings, and the prophet. And after his consecration in baptism, he actually went to the wilderness where 
temptation, Satan tempted him for 40 days. And following this tradition, that's why after we ordain any priest, he goes to the monastery to spend 40 days fasting, exactly like what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Which wilderness? Most probably wilderness in Judea, where actually was close to where he was baptized in Jordan. So most probably was in the wilderness of Judea. But some other scholars said, no, maybe he went to the great desert of Horeb or Sinai, where the children of Israel were tried for 40 years, and also Moses and Elijah fasted 40 days. So this is another opinion, but the most common opinion that it was in Judea. And here we see that our Lord began his ministry immediately after his baptism, not by going directly to Jerusalem to preach, but by retiring into wilderness. So this is a lesson for us. Yes, I told you after the ordination of a new priest, he go and uh, spend 40 days. But we need to prepare ourselves for any ministry by spending some time with God. Before actually I teach in Sunday school, I need to have some personal time with God. Before I preach, before I uh, do visitation, before any work of ministry, I need actually to have some personal time with God in order to be charged spiritually before going and preaching. Uh, I remember very well in Egypt, in Sunday school, all the servants used to meet half an hour before the beginning of Sunday school in order to pray and prepare themselves before uh, Sunday school start. I remember also before going visitation, the servants that are going visitation together used to meet at the church and pray together before going visitation. So that's actually uh, very important because this means I rely on God. I'm doing the work of ministry, not relying on my own self, but relying on God. So how the Lord prepared himself for the ministry by fasting, meditation, prayer, and also by sustaining the temptation in the wilderness. That's what he did. He did not start preaching, he did not start uh, meeting the people, but first he spent 40 days in prayer, in meditation, fasting before starting his ministry. Uh, that's why his journey to the wilderness, it is said to have been undertaken by the direction of the Spirit. Like, for example, in Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 12, it was said he was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. So, by the Holy Spirit, he was led to the wilderness. Uh, the temptation in the wilderness was mentioned in three Gospels only. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark mentioned it very, very brief. Only Matthew and Luke have the details of the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ by Satan. Only slight difference on the order how these three temptations happened. Matthew mentioned the first one, the bread, second one, uh, the pinnacle of the temple, third one, he took him on high mountain and saw him all the kingdoms of the world. Luke mentioned the two and the third opposite. So the second one, he showed him all the kingdom of the world, and the third one took him to the temple of uh, the, the pinnacle of the temple. And Mark and Luke mentioned that he was tempted during the 40 days, not only these three temptations, but these three temptations were mentioned because all these temptations reached its most awful climax at their close, at the end of the 40 days, at the end of the, when Jesus started to feel hungry after fasting 40 days. Uh, and why Matthew and Luke did not mention the details of all temptation? Why only these three temptations were mentioned? Most probably because there are lessons to us in these three temptations. There are some instruction for all of us uh, through these three temptations. Uh, when Luke and Matthew said after the 40 days he finally get or got hungry means it seems that he did not feel any sensation of hunger during these 40 days only after the 40 days ended he started to feel hungry Jesus was not only the only one who fasted 40 days but Moses actually fasted 40 days two times, twice. Uh, and the reference of the two times, one in Deuteronomy chapter 9, from verse 9 to 25, and the other one in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 10. Also Elijah, after the angel brought him a meal, and he ate this meal, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights until he went Horeb, the mountain of God, as we read in 1 Kings 19, verse 8. So we have Moses, we have Elijah. Moses did it twice, 40 days and 49 with no water, with no food at all. Elijah once and the Lord Jesus Christ once. So at the end of the 40 days of fasting and prayer, Jesus was hungry because Jesus is a perfect human. We read in Philippians chapter 2 that he emptied himself. Emptied himself means he did not let the divinity to impact in any way his humanity. 
Yes, the divinity is united with humanity without mingling, without confusion, and without alteration, but he grew exactly like any human being. So like any human being, he felt hungry after uh, 40 days of fasting. And when Satan recognized it, now he is hungry, so Satan saw this is a fitting time to test the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we read in verse 3, And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So, it is useful here to say that during these 40 days and 40 nights, Satan was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. But also during these 40 days, the Lord was continually sustained and supported by the Holy Spirit. So. The same for us, when Satan is tempting us through our unity with our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to claim such support from the Holy Spirit. The Lord actually went through all this, the temptation, getting hungry, our pain, our suffering. He went through all of this for our sake. As St. Paul said in Hebrews, as he was tempted, he is able to support those who are tempted. So as he suffered in temptation, so he will be able to support us when we suffer through our temptation. So, through our unity with our Lord Jesus Christ, when we go through difficult time, when we go through temptation, we can get support from the Holy Spirit in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to do comparison here between the temptation of the first Adam, Adam and Eve, and the second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 ended by saying Jesus is the son of Adam, son of God. Son of Adam means he is the seed of the woman. When the Lord said to the serpent, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So, how Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden? Actually, through food, Satan tempted them to eat from the forbidden tree. In the same way, Israel, and by the way, Israel is considered the first born nation to God. God said, Israel, my first born son. 
Because Israel was the first nation to believe in God. All nations worshipped idols, only Israel believed in God. So, also, they were tempted in the wilderness by desiring to eat meat, the temptation of food. So, the firstborn son, Israel, and Adam, the son of God also, as we read in Luke, last verse in Luke chapter 3, were tempted by food. That's why it was fitting that Satan tempt the second Adam by food also. Uh, and St. Paul is the one who called Jesus the second Adam, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22. Uh, Satan expected, as what happened with the first Adam when he tempted him with the food, Eve ate and then gave Adam, and both of them uh, disobeyed God. So, Satan was expecting that second Adam, Jesus, will do the same. Now you are hungry, and you are saying you are the son of God. So if you are the son of God, change this stone into bread and eat. Uh, and Satan was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ by, by saying, if you make this miracle, people will believe that you are the Son of God. So if you are Son of God, prove it to me. If you are the Son of God, change this bread into stone. Then I will believe that you are the Son of God. And by the way, this question was a very important question for Satan, to know whether Jesus is truly the Son of God or not. That's why all the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, Satan was asking the same question, if you are the Son of God. One time after healing Simon's mother-in-law, and the Lord cast out many demons, so Satan said, you are Christ the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and did not allow them to say this. So they were confused. And if you remember, even on the cross, the people were asking Jesus what? If you are the Son of God, descend from the cross and we will believe in you. So this actually was the question that Satan wanted to know. And he didn't know who Jesus was until the Lord actually died on the cross. And in this moment when Satan came to capture his soul, as he said, as he did with all human beings, at this moment the Lord bound him. And Satan realized that Jesus is indeed the incarnated Son of God. So, after being weakened and exhausted by long abstinence from food, 
the temptation to supply his needs by this easy way changing the stone into bread was very very great and persuading and until now you know when you fast Satan make you believe that you have headache you are drowsy you cannot uh, abstain from food uh, you are thirsty just you need to drink some water you know and, and, and many many times we take the easy way and we break our fast. But the Lord Jesus Christ responded by quoting scripture, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, and here actually, the Lord Jesus Christ proved to Satan that he believes in the authority of the scripture. As the Lord said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one letter will fall from the scripture. And, and Jesus, as if he is saying, I trust God, hunger will not make me die. Hunger will not kill me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ lays down here the writing of Moses and the prophet as authoritative, as a rule to himself. And there is a message to us here that when Satan tempts us, we need to respond by the scripture. But we need to be rich in the scripture, as St. Paul said, let the word of God dwell richly in you. If you don't know the scripture, if you don't memorize the scripture, how can you respond to Satan when he tempts you? Our Lord Jesus Christ did not yield to the temptation, though he was hungry. But he would not do what Satan proposed him to do. He did not accept anything from Satan. Even when Satan testified truthfully and said, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not accept this from Satan. And listen to us, we should not, we have, we have to have the spirit of discernment to discern the voice of Satan and not to accept anything from Satan. That's why St. John said, examine the spirits. Not every spirit is from God. So not any thought come to your mind is from God. Examine it. And if anything from Satan, we need to reject it completely. Another lesson here, that miracles were done for the confirming of faith, to establish the faith of people who have shaken faith. But the devil had no faith to be confirmed. So why would the Lord do a miracle? The Lord did miracles 
for the approval of his doctrine to show that his doctrine is true. Like when he said, to show you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he healed the paralytic man. So he did miracles for the approval of his doctrine, and therefore, till he began to preach uh, and start his ministry, the Bible did not record to us any miracle for the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, the Lord would not do miracles for himself and his own supply. No, the Lord will never do miracles just for his own sake, for to provide for what he needs. He came not to please himself, but to glorify the Father. Yes, he turned water into wine in order to convince his friends uh, that he is the Messiah. But he refused to turn the stones into bread for his own necessary supply. He, he would rather be rebuked by Satan as being weak not able to do this miracle, not able to change the stone into bread, than to be persuaded by Satan and listen to Satan to do such miracle. The same happened on the cross. His enemies rebuked him on the cross. If you are the Son of God, descend from the cross and we will believe in you. But the Lord preferred to be rebuked by his enemies and not to save himself in order to save all of us. So he chose not to save himself from the cross in order to save all of us. Then the second miracle, according to St. Luke, as I told you, Matthew mentioned this as the third miracle. But here, Luke mentioned the kingdom of the world as the second miracle. Verse 5, Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. In a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you. Satan is a liar because he never had authority over all the kingdoms of the world. So, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. This is a lie. And I give it to whomever I wish. So he's claiming authority, not his. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. That's what Satan is demanding from all of us. Even he dared to demand it from the Lord Jesus Christ to worship him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. 
For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So St. Luke here adopts different order of the temptation from St. Matthew. Uh, because the last, the third one, to throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple, it's about spiritual pride. So St. Luke wants to place this as number three, the third temple, as the third temptation, because it was stronger and more intense than just temporal ambition to have the kingdom of the world. So, and St. Luke was using the order that happened with Adam and Eve. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve, number one, he tempted them with a forbidden tree, good for food, then pleasant to the eyes. And Adam and Eve were overpowered and fell into temptation. So, first, he told them temptation about food. Change the stone into bread. Then pleasure to eye. He showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. So the same order that he did with Adam and Eve. Number one is the lust of the flesh. And number two is the lust of the eyes. As St. John said, what's in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and then the pride of life. The pride is the third temptation. So here Satan first tempted Christ to turn the stones into bread, which would be good for food. Then he showed him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, which were pleasant to the eyes, as he did with Adam and Eve. And he said, all this authority I will give you. This actually was mentioned only by Luke. St. Matthew did not mention this. And as I told you, Satan was a liar from the beginning. Because the dominion over the things of the world was not given to angels, but given to man, as we read in Genesis 1, verse 26. God gave us authority on the world, not to the angel or the fallen angels. So, neither has he any such power as he pretends to, being not able to do anything against Job. If he has his power, he couldn't do anything against Job without getting permission from God. Then Satan doesn't have this power or authority. Even Satan could not enter into the swine without approval by the Lord Jesus Christ. So where is this authority that he is claiming, I have all this authority and I will give it to you? And there is a big difference between the fallen angels and good angels. Do you remember when John, the theologian in the book of Revelation, 
bowed down to the angel, the angel refused to accept this. A good angel will not ask to be worshipped by men, but as he did with John, he directed him to worship God only. But the fallen angel not only seek to be worshipped by men, but also they want the Son of God himself to worship him. The Son of God who is worshipped by all the ranks of the angels. But here Satan is demanding the Son of God to worship him. But this is exactly what Satan wanted from the beginning. This is exactly why he fell from his rank as archangel, because he assumed deity, deity and sought to have divine worship given him. And unfortunately, until now, still Satan in this sin and growing worse and worse. He wants even God to worship him. And hear how our Lord Jesus triumphed over this temptation. We, we see here the Lord was very, very assertive with Satan. He rejected without rage. He said to him, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. There is no dialogue now. If you ask me to worship you, there is no compromise here or no discussion. No discussion. So, as if the Lord is saying, such a temptation should not be reasoned with. And then immediately the Lord told him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Satan is against this verse from very, very beginning. That's why he fell from his rank. And the Lord now is reminding him, remember why you fell from your rank. Because you don't want to worship the Lord your God. But remember, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. We notice here that our Lord Jesus Christ did not treat this temptation as the other two, but with divine authority commanded the tempter to return to his own place. Get behind me, Satan. Such temptation is not accepted. Then the third one, verse 9, then he brought him to Jerusalem. That's why I told you most probably the wilderness was in Judea, where Jerusalem is. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now Satan is quoting the scripture. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. Psalm 90. And in their hand they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In the first temptation, actually, the Lord said to Satan, We should trust God. Man shall live by, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan now is challenging him. Do you trust God? You say, I should trust God. Man shall not live by bread alone. So show me if you really trust God or not. And you quote scripture for me, I'm quoting scripture for you now. It's written that when you fall, God will send his angels to carry you. So now you are on the temple of the uh, pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself down. Show me that you trust God. He was challenging the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first temptation had been to natural appetite and impulse. He was hungry, changed the stone into bread. The second was to unholy and wicked ambition. I will give you all these kingdoms of the earth. But the third one is to unwise confidence and spiritual pride. Who would, who would do such a thing unless a person is very prideful and arrogant? So, this temptation was based on the absolute trust that the Lord mentioned to Satan in the first temptation, man shall not live by bread alone. So, since our Lord had repelled the first temptation by his trust and confidence in the power and goodness of God, now Satan told him, okay, show me that you really trust God. Make a trial. And you quoted a scripture for me, man shall not live uh, by bread alone. Now there is a scripture support what I'm asking you to do from Psalm 90. Satan is a deceiver. And now we can see how Satan is trying to deceive our Lord Jesus Christ. He used the same means that the Lord rejected the temptation in the first one to tempt him in the third temptation. So Satan may use what actually we use to reject his temptation. He can use this as a foundation to tempt us again. This method Satan often uses in order to confuse us in our confidence, in order to shake our confidence. But we should know that the devil may place our souls in temptation, but the devil can never make us sin. As St. Augustine said, the devil's part is to suggest, but it is our part not to consent. 
So the Lord replied by quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Yes, I trust him. But when I throw myself intentionally from the pinnacle of the temple, as if I am challenging God, you told me in Psalm 90, you will send the angels, send the angels. But God did not mean this. God means that he will protect you if something happened to you. Not when you intentionally jump from the pinnacle of the temple and ask God to fulfill what he mentioned in Psalm 90. And Satan was defeated also in this temptation. So our victorious Redeemer kept his ground and he came off a conqueror, not for himself only, but for our sake. So in his victory, we can also defeat Satan. Verse 13, Now when the devil had ended every temptation in these 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Satan actually was tempting Jesus all the time. But until an opportune time, most probably referring to the time of his passion, when Satan entered into the heart of Judas and armed all his instrument against our Savior to tempt him again. St. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, that is the first sin. Turn or change the stone into bread. Enticement for the eyes, that is the second one. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And a pretentious life. That is the third one, the pride. Throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. And these three things is not from the Father, but is from the world. So St. John, in his letter, summed the temptation of the world into three categories. Sensual lust, desires of the flesh, enticement for the eyes, and pretentious, flashy life. Verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. As I told you, after, he finished, after baptism, he went to the wilderness to 40 days, fasting and praying, meditation. Then he went to Galilee to start his ministry. Galilee in the north. So he went to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So Jesus came from his time of testing stronger than ever in the power of the Spirit. 
in 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 Luke chapter one verse uh, Luke chapter four verse one, Jesus already filled with the Spirit, but he continued to walk in the power of the Spirit even after the temptation, after experiencing the victory over temptation. Why the Lord started his ministry in Galilee, in the north, not in Jerusalem? Because the region of Galilee was fertile, progressive, highly populated region. Uh, and that's why he started there. Because two of great international trade routes passed through or by Galilee. So people coming from everywhere going to Galilee. So it was not difficult to find people to hear his gospel message because crowds of people traveled these trade routes. We know that the temple in Jerusalem, but there was synagogues everywhere. Synagogues were place for public worship. People used to meet to pray, to read from the scripture, but not as the temple only for ceremonial services, to offer sacrifices. They cannot offer a sacrifice in the synagogue. They have to go to the temple. But synagogues just used to meet every week for prayer or reading from the scripture, for moral act of devotion, read, pray, and praise. And the Lord gained great reputation in a very short time. News of him went out through all the surrounding region. And it was a good fame, for he was glorified by all, as we read in John, sorry, in Luke chapter 4. Everybody admired him, praised him publicly, because they never heard such a preaching in their lives. And until now, we did not read about any rejection or any contradiction or any contempt. No, everybody glorified him. No one slandered him. Slander and rejection started when he went to his city, Nazareth. As I told you, Galilee is like the state, many cities. Nazareth is one city. So he did not start in the city of Nazareth. But the rejection came when he went to Nazareth. So, verse 16, so he came to Nazareth. He was preaching in Galilee, in the old state, and one of the cities was Nazareth, so he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. That's where he grew. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on Sabbath. As I told you people, used to go to the synagogue every week on the day of worship. And the day of worship was Sabbath, on Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. So, it's clear that our Lord did not begin his ministry at Nazareth, at his city. But now Jesus came to his hometown of Nazareth and attended the Sabbath service 
in a local synagogue there. St. Luke said, as his custom was, to keep the Sabbath command. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And reading had been for years his practice in this little synagogue of the village. So it was his custom when he entered into this local synagogue, so he reads. In the Jewish tradition, children at age of five years were admitted to the synagogue, were allowed to come to the synagogue. And at year, at 13 years old, attendance was part of the legal life of the Jew. Mean, now he is accountable. He is expected to keep the law. He is expected to go every Sabbath to the synagogue to pray. Uh, and up to this time, when the Lord used to go to the synagogue, he was only reading. He did not preach at all. So he limited himself to reading. But now he started his ministry, so he will not only read, but he will preach also. Verse 17, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me. Everybody knows that these verses about the Messiah. As I told you, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit when he was baptized, when the Spirit of God descended upon his head like a dove. So, in a prophetic way, all the people knew that these verses from Isaiah is about the Messiah. He has anointed me to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor, the good news to the poor, poor in spirit. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted because of sin and rejection because of their sins, to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are in Hades, were taken captive, now they will be set free and transferred into the paradise of joy. And recovery of sight to the blind, those who were sitting in darkness and shadow of death. Now their eyes, he is the light who came to the world. They will be enlightened to see the glory of God. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed by Satan. And, and, and they are oppressed because they are captives of sin. Now you can actually be free from sin. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There was a year called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was every seven years and then every 50 years. All the captives were released and any debt was released. But in a prophetic way, when the Messiah comes, it will be a year of Jubilee, when 
everybody will be released from the captivity of Satan. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will be released from the captivity of Satan. So now he came this time differently. He started his ministry, so he came to preach, not only to read. He was absent for some months, the time that he went to John the Baptist to be baptized, and then he went to the wilderness. So he was absent from Galilee and this synagogue in Nazareth for some time. But now came with a new power, and he is already famous in Galilee. And it was the custom, if somebody comes to the synagogue and was known to be competent, that they ask him to explain the passage from the law, law or, or the prophets. So the Lord actually was well known in Nazareth. He grew up there. And now th there was a fame about him in all Galilee. So he gained a great reputation as a preacher. That's why was very, very expected that he would be asked to preach uh, in, in Sabbath services in the synagogue. And the passage that the Lord read was from the Septuagint Greek translation of the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 and 2. Which means actually that when the evangelist like St. Luke wrote any quotation from the Old Testament, they used the Septuagint, the Greek translation. That's why the Greek translation, the Septuagint, is the official translation in the Orthodox Church for the Old Testament. And added to it from Isaiah 42, 7. So the verses that we read from Isaiah is from two different chapters, 6, 1, 1 and 2, 42, verse 7. The message can be summarized proclaiming liberty to the captives, preaching the acceptable year of the Lord, or year of acceptance. So there is a hint here, as I explained, the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. And this year was announced by sound of trumpet, as we read in Leviticus 25, verse 8. This year, the year of Jubilee, was a year of generous, general release of any debt, any obligation, of bondmen and women, any slaves, any lands were taken, any position were taken, uh, anything that was sold from families and tribes, everything returned back to the original people. Liberty, release. Definitely, it was not by coincidence or by chance that the opening word of this passage uh, that about the Messiah 
has also reference to the Holy Trinity. Listen, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Lord is God the Father, upon me the Son. So here also there is reference for the Holy Trinity. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, and as I told you, all the Jewish people knew that these verses are about the return from captivity. Not the captivity in Babylon or the Assyrian captivity, but through the Messiah. Because yes, uh, people returned from the captivity of Babylon, but the bright picture painted in this prophecy is not yet attained. So, even after several years from returning from the captivity in Babylon, there was large majority of the chosen people of Israel scattered abroad. So in their mind, this prophecy is referring to something else, not to the captivity of Babylon. So they understood that deliverance will come and the golden age of prosperity will come with the promised Messiah. This acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee, as I said, this the true Jubilee of the Messiah's kingdom. When we are free from the captivity of Satan. Verse 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning, I am the Messiah. I am who was anointed by the Spirit of God. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So they admired his preaching, but they said, yes, we admire your preaching, but to say that you are the Messiah, no, no, that's too much. We cannot accept this. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He is the son of this carpenter from this poor family. So how he is the Messiah? So the custom was to read standing, and after finish the reading, he sit down and start preaching. So they looked very closely at him, and we're very attentive to what he should say upon this passage of the scripture. He, they heard about him, he is a great preacher. And they know this passage is about the Messiah. So they were looking at him to hear what he is going to preach. To their surprise, Jesus told them the prophecy of Isaiah was fulfilled in him. 
I am the Messiah. So he is revealing to them that he is the anointed one that Isaiah wrote about in this passage. Therefore, he is the one who has authority to proclaim the extraordinary divine jubilee liberation. This acceptable year of the Lord, he is the one who will announce it and proclaim it when he dies on the cross for the people of God. And he will deliver those who are taken captives from Hades to the paradise of joy. Once he said this, he caught their attention. But also the Lord uh, read their mind and their feeling. They couldn't believe this. Yes, they praised and admired the wisdom of his sermon, but not to the extent that he is a Messiah. Surprise and admiration soon gave place to a spirit of unbelief. Is this not the son of Joseph? They wondered, is not this who speaks to us such word, bright and eloquent with, with hope? He is the young carpenter, and we have known him so long in our village. And they stumbled at his parents, because although Joseph from the house of David and Mary from the house of David, but they were so, so poor and uneducated. So how come the Messiah will come from uh, such poor family? Uh, how the Lord actually responded to them, this will be our next Bible study. Uh, glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.